Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you could submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, it's a conversation about the healing power of plants with Nancy DeBruyle Clementi. Nancy is owner of NatureWorks Horticultural Services in Northford, Connecticut. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. Nature Works Horticultural Services. What is that? Well, I we are an organic garden center um, and landscaping business. Okay. And I have been organically growing and maintaining plants for 32 years, long okay. before it was popular. Okie doke. And we install um, flower gardens, edible gardens now, herb gardens, and take care of gardens for people. And then in our garden center, we sell all the different products that you need to grow beautiful gardens organically. Okay. So uh, this is like a regular garden center, really, if I wanted to uh, get a dogwood or... Yeah, a lot of what we sell is a little unusual, a little different. We do a lot with butterflies and native plants and plants that are just a little bit more uh, unusual than the average garden center. And we do right now we're doing a lot with edible plants and herbs because that seems to be what the younger generation is really looking for. Got it. So uh, we're talking about like Harry Potter mandrakes and things like that? Um, Well, in some ways, (laughs) but I think mostly... Young people want to grow food. That's all there is to it. They'll grow food in any way, shape, or form that they can, and they they just want to grow it organically. So there is no question in their minds that's what they want, and they come to us because because we've been organic for a long time, and we know all the ins and outs of it. It's not like we're either or. This is what we do, and this is what we live. Gotcha. And so how did you first become interested in the healing power of plants? Well, I've always been interested in herbs and herbal um, growing of plants. So for even before I started my own business, I studied this. And um, I have many different plants that I find are very helpful to me personally. And what I tell people when they're trying to figure out what plants are useful to them, it's very personal. Um, you will find plants that will work for you. And then 10 years later, you might change and find something else that will work for you. I use a lot of herbal teas. I'm a very high uh, energy person. Owning a business is a lot of work. At night, I can't sleep a lot because my brain is is going. I drink herbal teas that are various blends of things like passion flower and valerian. Chamomile doesn't really work for me, although everybody talks about chamomile tea. It's just not my herb. It was very big in Beatrix powder. Right, right. I mean, it's it slightly relaxes me, but some of these other herbs are stronger. Didn't work for uh, Peter Rabbit either. <laughs> I also, um, during the day when I want to focus and concentrate, I oftentimes will drink sage tea, rosemary and sage tea. And a lot of times I'll buy blends. I go to the health food store or even now the grocery store has them. And I read the boxes and I read what the different herbs are. And I think about what I know about them and what will work for me. And I find various blends that work. I have um, teas for mental clarity, for example, which is really, really useful when you're running a business and you have to multitask a lot. I also um, use herbs for digestion, which I think is really, really important, especially if somebody is sick and they, and they don't want to take a lot of over-the-counter medication. 
medications, simple herbs like mint, ginger, fennel, licorice. Those are all really good for digestion. And that is really, really important for people to realize that you can grow them very easily and harvest them. You can dry them. You can use them fresh and they will help you tremendously. And they're very inexpensive to produce. Hmm. Do you think it's better to use the fresh stuff out of your garden compared to the stuff you get at the either the GNC or your health food store? Well, I think it's really important that the herbs that you get are organically grown because it's you don't want to in, ingest any poisons. So there are a lot of organic um, brands now. If you take herbs from your own garden, herbs contain water, and so you have to use twice as much fresh herb as you do dry herb because the dry herb has the oils concentrated. Mm -hmm. But you can certainly use fresh herbs. Like an example would be on a hot summer day, you're working outside, you take lemon balm, which is a wonderful perennial herb, easy to grow, too easy to grow actually, and you put it in a jar of water and you set it in the sun while you're working. Make it like a sun tea. Like a sun tea, right. And about... 20 minutes, an hour later, you drink lemon balm water. Now, lemon balm, they always say in herbal lore, chases away melancholy. In other words, it makes you feel happy. I like that. And its scientific name is Melissa, which means pretty. And now, you don't have to go, you don't have to boil water, you don't have to do anything. You just do this, and you're drinking lemon balm tea. I will infuse peppermint in tea water and just have that in the summer to kind of feel cooled off. So it could be such simple stuff. I also use um, clippings of herbs basically as aromatherapy. Like lavender is a very relaxing herb. It's wonderful before you go to sleep to put a couple of drops of lavender oil on a sleep pillow. I use a lavender spray in my office when chaos is raining to keep the place a little calm. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can use various herbs for purposes that will help you to, you know, just sort of clean the air and feel good. And I think when people are sick and they're trying to heal themselves and, and, and create places of sanctuary and peacefulness, herbs are just the perfect p purpose for that. But there's also other plants besides herbs that have many functions. Um, roses, for example. Uh, the roses, you can make rose water from the roses. And you also, by just looking at a rose, it makes you stop and realize the absolute amazing miracle of a flower, which I think brings people right down to the present moment, which is what you need to do when you're trying to heal yourself from a sickness or relax and unwind. So for me, it's a lifestyle. It's just completely integrated into everything that I do. Um, you know, from edible flowers, which are an interesting way to get vitamins, nasturtiums. Everybody seems to know nasturtiums. They are so high in vitamin C. When you're working in the garden in the summer and you're sweating and you find yourself nibbling on nasturtiums, it's because you need vitamin C. Mm. And it's the simplest and easiest way to get it. Um, borage blossoms taste like cucumbers, so they kind of cool you down psychologically, you know. So it, it, all of that really just makes me feel like these are the plants that are, are like our allies in life. They're given to us for all these reasons. And, you know, most people aren't even aware of it. When people come into the garden center, they'll be looking at plants and I'll be like, rub it, smell it. They're like, really? Wow. Who would have ever have known? Because you don't smell an herb unless you touch an herb. Mm -hmm. um, stevia. You know what stevia is? It's, it's that sweetener, It's right? a sweetener. It's a plant. It's an annual plant. 
It's called Sugar Leaf. You should see the look on a child's face when you give them an organically grown leaf of stevia and you say, just bite into it. And they're like, oh, no. They bite into it and they're like, oh, it tastes like candy. I'm like, yeah, this is sugar leaf, you know. And th- their eyes light up and they're like, this is amazing. And then they're like, what? what's, what's next? Tell, tell me something new, you know. Huh. And you can grow that in your garden? Yeah, it's stevia? an annual so that you grow Plant it for it one year. season or you can, you know, start it in the house. But you, it won't overlive in the garden like uh, a it's regular. It's not hardy, wood. right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's different. Every herb has a different life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I, I was interested in what you said about making your own rose water. What do you use the blossoms? Yes, or do you the use, blossoms. So right. it's not rose hips. No, rose hips are also very helpful, but that's for vitamin C. Okay, and the rose hips, do they come from roses or from they like the do. beach roses? They, well, ro- beach roses are roses. All roses, almost all roses, have hips unless they're bred to be sterile. But the beach rose hips are the ones that everybody seems to know. Um, but every rose that is not that is going to form a fruit, that's what the hip so is. So everything that forms that, that little green bulby thing. It's actually red. It turns red when it's ripe. <laughs> okay. And that's how you know it's ready. Now, a lot of people imagine that I'll grow my own rose hips and dry my own... If I want to use rose hips, I'll often buy them already prepared because you need a lot of them. You need a lot of them, and and besides, they're very sour tasting. So I would rather have them blended with other stuff. Mm. And um, companies that do this know how to do this really well. And being busy, I mean, I carry you know different types of herb teas and various things with me in the car and in my lunch bag, so that whatever I need is there for me. So it's you know you can still go to the beach as long as it hasn't been sprayed with some toxin or something, harvest them, dry them, and play around with that. That's all great. But you'll find that you probably won't be munching on them like candy because they're very sour. Hmm. Now, I uh, I moved up here recently from uh, Maryland about a year and some ago, and uh, and I find that I'm confused between beach roses and beach plums. Oh, well, they're very different. Beach, <laughs> beach plums actually is, is related to cherries and and they have little white flowers. Okay. And they're super hardy. They have lived through two hurricanes on the Thimble Islands where I garden, which is saying something about a plant. And then they get an actual small plum fruit that you make jam out of. Um, the birds often get them before humans get them. So they are a small tree. They'll okay. get to be about 12, 15 feet tall. So the things that have the pink flowers, those are the beach roses. Right, pink or white. And then they're very prickly, and their their leaves are very corrugated. They're gotcha. not like fine roses. They're not all glossy and everything. Right. And then the flowers are very fragrant. Bees love them. And, um, and then the hips form if you don't take the dead flowers off. And so a lot of people will deadhead them in the middle of summer and then leave the hips to form in the fall. So they get multiple rounds of flowers from them. Nice. Well, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> so you garden actually on the Thimble Island? Do you have a nah. house out there? Or? No, no, no. I, my, I work for clients. We take barges out and ferry boats out with our wow. plants and our stuff. Yeah. Well, Talk about a sanctuary. Nice. There's oh, some my. beautiful places out there that are very quiet and peaceful. And yeah, I've only done the commercial cruises. Yeah, well, you'll which see. Which are fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should see what it's like to go out on a barge with um, enough plants to plant 25 or 30 giant clay pots and, you know, 100 bags of mulch because you have to bring it onto the you know, down the dock onto the barge, then make sure the tide is right, and then up the. Do- it's quite the project. I mean, I have staff that helps me with this. I don't physically do it all myself, but um, it is interesting. It's beautiful out there. I have to assume it's uh, it's harder to garden out there. I would guess just because of the elements, or not really. Um, yeah, <laughs> very much so. I, I would think so. Um, when the weather's good, 
the plants grow beautifully. But the last two hurricanes have been yeah, devastating. Brutal. And because they came one on top of another after we replanted from the first one, the plants didn't have time to root in. So There's we not a lot of topsoil, right? It's mostly granite. No, no. And, and you bring it all in. Oh, gotcha. You know? <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So uh, our, I like your... Um, you know, sort of what you brought up before, you know, you started talking about kind of herbal infusions and teas, and then you sort of segued into kind of sort of the more contemplative uh, effect that, that roses have. And I, and I think that's that's such a beautiful thought um, in terms of, uh, you know, um, kind of the psychological issue of being in a garden or being in a forest and can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I just finished reading a book called, um, um, well, I just finished reading a book about garden design, and it's called Heaven is a Garden. And uh, in it, the woman who's very spiritually oriented, I went to see her speak. She was amazing. She talked about in Japan, they have, they do something called forest bathing, where they have national forests, they're healing forests for people with cancer and other diseases. And they walk through the forests, and it's been proven that their um, whole system um, increases the white blood cells and their immune response due to the reaction of them walking through a mature forest. Mm. It's called forest bathing. I'll be talking about that when I, um, you know, when I give the talk at, um, when I talk at Smilo Cancer Center. So anyway, that to me is amazing because all of us have all probably experienced going walking in the woods and all of a sudden hearing the silence and the birds and looking at the trees and realizing how big and beautiful they are or looking down and noticing all the moss and all the little life. And all of a sudden you're like in a new place in your world. You're like quiet and you're focused. And that's because you're in the present moment and that's what gardens do and that's what nature does. So to me, I think we're, we desperately need to disconnect from all the technology technology that we have, from all the stresses that we have. I mean, it used to be, you know, you just answered the phone. Now you have email, voicemail, Facebook, your cell phone. There's bare, Everybody assumes that when they call you, you should be instantaneously available. And to unplug, you almost feel guilty. And that's what a garden does. When I go out into, I, I have a, I live in Middletown and I have a, about an acre, almost two acres of which about an acre and a quarter I garden in. And, um, and I garden on Sundays quietly and alone and it's wonderful for me well nancy this is a uh, really great and i'm going to want to pick up on this uh, contemplative aspect of gardening uh, after the break but right now we've got to take a short break for medical minute please stay tuned to learn more information about the healing power of plants with nancy de brule clementi there are over 13 million cancer survivors in the united states and over a hundred thousand here in connecticut Completing treatment is an exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. Following treatment, cancer survivors can face several long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers to help keep cancer survivors focused on healthy living. The Survivorship Clinic at Yale Cancer Center focuses on providing guidance and direction to empower survivors to maximize their health, quality of life, and longevity. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. 
This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Nancy Debrule Clementi. We are discussing various plants and their healing powers. Nancy, you, you were before the break, you were talking about um, uh, these gardens or forests, I guess, in Japan that, that people stroll through and, and have um, uh, changes in their white blood counts and immune system. And I, it brought me to um, thinking of walking through the Muir Woods uh, in California, which, you know, this, I mean... It's just so extraordinary to be among those trees, just knowing how old they are. There's something very mm-hmm. sacred about that. Have you ever hugged a tree? It sounds crazy, but when I tell you, it, it, I've seen people do it, especially before hurricanes. <laughs> but um, I know, think I have actually. I'm yeah, yeah. You know, you can admit it. You know, um, I talk to plants, but um, but trees are just amazing when you think about you know the trunks rooted so deeply in the earth, and then the canopy going up so high. And when you go to the Muir Woods, you think to yourself, because I've been there too, you think how many human generations have walked through here, the history, the energy that's in that space. It is stunning. Um, And there's also the kind of the opposite when it comes to gardens. One of the things I like to create for people is garden sanctuaries Mm -hmm. and garden gardens of retreat and relaxation. And um, even if you have a tiny yard, you can figure out ways to design the space to make areas private and smaller. And they're kind of like the escape hatch, like I'll be outside, but don't call me, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm not, I'm not available. And I think if everybody had that and not an indoor room, but an outdoor room where they're, they really needed to listen to the song of the birds, you know, the chirping of the frogs, the crickets, the wind in the evergreens and just watch, like I watch insects buzzing around in my garden because Mm -hmm. there's this big problem with pollinators declining and, and I look at all the bees and all the pollinators in my garden and I watch them because I'm curious now like if we're having a problem with them they're all happy in my garden but I like to watch what flowers they go to and how they operate and how many different ones I can count and things like that's just a way of it's like a meditation it's like a grounding exercise just using plants and the natural world and gardens to do so even scents will do that I have a garden that um I I took out a swimming pool, and I made a courtyard, and in the middle of the courtyard, I have a seven-circuit walking labyrinth, Mm. which is a meditative uh, process. And the court... Did you do that with bricks or... uh, Stone. Stone. Mm -hmm. uh, Two two or three kinds. I have a wonderful stonemason that did it. And and I also have many, many flowers that are white or pale colored that are vespertine, which means they open at night. Gotcha. And because I work during most daylight hours and I relax after dark. <laughs> so I go outside and this is a private space because it used to be a swimming pool. So part of the fences are still up. There's stone walls for sitting and I can do yoga. I can just sit. I can just watch the flowers open. I can just smell the flowers. I can pick the herbs and just rub them and smell them and, and just like drop the stress level down and kind of clear the mind a little bit. And everybody needs this, I believe, mm. especially people who work in indoor spaces that are not connected to the outdoor side on a regular basis, they lose the connection to the natural world that all man has had until very recently. So 
Um, it can be tiny. It can be anything. It can be a little patio. So it's really fun for me to design these spaces. A lot of my clients are downsizing. I've had so many of the clients for the same many, many, many years, and they're moving from larger houses to smaller houses, but mm. they still want their garden. Yeah. And it's really important to them. Have you been up to the garden on the seventh floor? Oh, the yeah. Center? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. a lovely spot, the healing garden. I, I was there on a cold day in November, but I can imagine how well used that garden is. It is. Even in the winter, we had people out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a snow. water feature. Yes. There's wind chimes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all those kinds of things. Those all awaken the senses. Um, I mean, I've had many family members very sick with various ailments and I know that wherever whatever I wherever hospital I went to or wherever medical facility I was at finding an outdoor space was critical I used to take a great aunt from a convalescent home outside every time I visited her all she wanted to do was just have me bring her outside and look at the ducks in the river mm-hmm. and I knew that she just had to get out of that those confines but yeah that's a nice garden and it's very simple in its design it's not a complicated garden which is also a way to induce serenity because mm-hmm. if it was a you know wild Fussy. and crazy cottage garden people would not be relaxed when they're there but to go from a building that's you know medical and, and probably pretty sterile inside and, and with a lot of love floating around but not a, probably a whole lot of that kind of green space and to be able to go outside on a roof and hear water and hear wind chimes and birds and even up there I'm sure there's butterflies and hummingbirds Definitely. everybody's up there you know because that's a little pocket in the city right so yeah it's it's a great gift I mean, it's really important. I think every hospital should have a garden. Yeah, I think they're doing it more. When they built a new hospital at Johns Hopkins, where I used to be, um, you know, it's on a quite of a busy street and kind of a transitional neighborhood, I would say. Um, but right in the front of the hospital, they put in this, um, I call it the Zen garden. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very, um, it's a little austere, but in a very lovely way. It's got kind of some flat water and... Um, and and some plants, but it's very simple, and it, and it's just a spectacular place to be in. Even we must though constantly have people in it, yeah, but yeah, I guess so. You know, it draws it, it, you out. It you does, yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, it's unfortunate that it's placed so near the street, but it's still you can feel like yourself closed off, especially if you turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have a a water garden too with a waterfall that I can adjust. Oh, because I'm not on a main road, but. Down the hill on certain days, mostly low, cloudy days, I can hear the road below. Mm. And in the summer, I hear the motorcycles. And mm. I grew up across from 84 in, Har- in West Hartford before it opened. And then it opened literally across the street. And the Surprise. noise of the highway bothers me so much yeah. that um, when the noise is too much for me, I just turn the waterfall up. And when there's nobody mowing and there's no noise around, I turn the waterfall down to a trickle. Gotcha. And that's, I mean, that now modern water gardens all have that feature so it's it's pretty interesting the other piece of this is i asked a really dear friend who is a um she's a she does activities in convalescent homes and she's worked at hospice and and i said so tell me about what you think the healing power of plants is and her eyes lit up and she said i have um, patients or clients where um they're so confined that i go outside and i pick flowers and I put them on a cart with a vase and I walk into the activities room and I put it down and I pair them up and I make them make arrangements with the flowers and people that weren't talking would start to talk. People would say, this is what my mother, I grew this in my garden. My mother had this in her garden. This was in my grandmother's garden. Lilacs and lily of the valley and, you know, all these 
all these um, particular plants that have a meaning to your memories. Oh, you know, and, I know exactly what you mean. You know? I, I, I spent my, uh, <laughs> it's been my, spent my life, but I was in search of a plant that was in my parents' garden when <laughs> I was quite young. And I remembered them being, oh, they seemed like they must have been five feet tall and they uh, had lovely blue flowers and they made um, like bean pods. Wisteria. No, no, no. no. We, we called them sweet peas. But what they were, uh, I realize, is false indigo. Oh, Baptisia, Baptisia right? But yeah. They're not oh. so tall when you're not <laughs> when you're not two years right, old. Right. But I love them, and they they evoke uh, that that little patch, which was probably you know we were in the middle of Chicago, so it probably wasn't such a big patch. That is a native prairie plant, so they probably loved it out there. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And, well, when I was a kid, I grew up in the north end of Hartford, and. I played what I later found out underneath a bridal wreath spirea. Didn't know plants when I was a kid. But every time I'd see that plant or smell, it's a very common, modest plant. I'd go, i got to have one of those. And I always had one everywhere I ever lived. And then I realized that when I looked at really old slides, that was the plant we used to sit under and, like, make little forts and stuff. Right. So And, this, and so I did a workshop at the Mercy Center in Madison called Garden Memories, where I invited people to come in, and we talked about the plants that meant some, the, our memories of the gardens. It opened up the most unbelievable memories from people. And then in the afternoon, I had two helpers helpers that helped me them design gardens with those plants in them oh, so they can nice. recreate mini versions of their childhood memories. And you, all you got to do is ask the question and it, people just flow forth with I mean, even if I mean, I grew up in the north end of Hartford. We didn't really. I didn't even think we had a garden. But when I look at the pictures, I spent my childhood in Elizabeth Park. Can you imagine what roses do for me? You know, so, or just the look of a rose arbor covered with pink roses because that's the most beautiful rose garden. And we used to go swinging there and take pictures. And nice. so I think. That's another way that people could heal using gardens and plants is to sort of bring them back to a safe, comfortable place, planting a few things that that mean something to them and that evoke safety and a, and a sense of home. And then they have a refuge where they go, you know what? I've had a rough day. I'm just going to go sit and stare at my baptisia for mm-hmm. a while and go, I'm home now, you know. And I think that that really could make a huge difference in people's lives rather than the next best video game or something. Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell me about um, your experience with cancer patients uh, or the impact of plants um, for patients with cancer, if you have anything. Well, my... I, my sister is a six-year breast cancer survivor. Oh, great. And um, she was up at um, Brigham and Women's mm-hmm. in Boston. I've heard of it. Had a really tough time and um, used – and one of her best friends also had cancer. And they used their garden as a way to um, kind of keep in communication with each, with each other. Then when she would come to my house, she would just walk right outside I take her wig off, I guess I would say, because then you knew you were safe. You didn't have to worry about what you looked like. Walk around, pick, smell, play with the flowers, and then always take plants home, mm-hmm. pieces of little plants home. So now she has a garden that you know has a lot of my plants in it. And um, so it connects us in that way. Um, also, I've had, uh, at times, I took care of my 
both of my parents at home for many, many years before they died with the help of many caretakers. And when I would get home from that experience, I would be emotionally exhausted. And I would go outside and walk around. And that to me was, if I didn't have my garden at that point to go to, I don't know what I would have done. It really was the only way I could kind of process the deep emotional work of caring for old and, old and dying parents that you loved. And then, you know, having to come home to the real world and get ready to go back to work and still feeling guilty and confused and all of that. So to me, I've seen it work in many, many ways. I've also installed gardens that are memorials to people, Mm, too, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, we've done school gardens and kids' gardens as well. And but but in terms of people that are sick, people are just drawn to a garden. People come to our garden center, and we are in a house surrounded by gardens. It's very modest, but it's on a busy road. And sometimes they've never been there before, and you'll go out to the garden, you'll find them wandering around, and you'll say, Hi, welcome to NatureWorks. How are you today? And they're like, they just look at you, and they start to cry, and they're like... My dog died today, and I don't know what drew me in here, but something brought me in here, and I'm walking around, and it's so peaceful, and it's so beautiful, and there's all these butterflies, and I don't even know why I'm telling you this. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, that's okay. You know, and I give them a hug. I don't even know who they are. But it's like, good. I'm so glad that you came here, and something drew you here, and then when you got here, you felt safe. And that, to me, is worth more than all the sales of plants I could ever make. And it happens over and over again to the point where you just think to yourself, something's going on here. People say it's magical. And I think it's because there's so much life going on because we are an ecosystem. We don't use poisons. We have so many dragonflies and butterflies and birds and there's nests of birds and stuff everywhere. And people are just not used to walking into a place that's just so abuzz and alive. And we're totally not like, we're like, look at this bug and we'll tell them all about the bug. We're not afraid of the bug. Instead, we're fascinated by the bug, you know. Now, you're going to be doing a workshop uh, at Smilo. What's that going to be about? And we just have about a minute to go. Yeah, it's called The Healing Power of Plants and it's going to be basically about what we've talked about today. Two parts. One is specific types of plants and ways to use plants as um, healing properties, with their healing properties. And the other piece would be how the actual garden itself can help you in various ways. So I'm going to try and break it up into two parts. I'm going to show my garden and my labyrinth and some of the um, special spaces that I have designed to sort of give people inspiration. I'm going to bring plants with me of all kinds um, so that people can touch and see and smell them and um, share all of the things that work for me and I've seen work for others. So it's not just going to be me talking. It's going to be beautiful pictures and lots of hands-on smelling and feeling of plants. And so what's it's the date? Be fun. Um, it is April 2nd. Okay. And it's free. Open to the public? It's open to the public. And um, so, yeah, everybody should just come down and... At the Cancer and, Center? At the, at the, at the, at the Smilo the Cancer Center, right. Nancy DeBrule Clementi is owner of NatureWorks Horticultural Services in Northford, Connecticut. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.